Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here at almost the halfway point of Roland Garros. This week's guest on the show, a man that's played professional tennis, traveled the globe extensively as a broadcaster, and his travels take a, take him now to the TC Live Podcast. Welcome to the show, Prakash Armitrage. Prakash, great to be talking with you. Mitch, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me in the middle of this unprecedented year unprecedented to say the least we were talking about that before we got going that uh, it's just nuts how much tennis is taking place right now they're they're trying to do uh, as much as they can to salvage the year the u.s open was phenomenal we jump right into clay court season of the french open and prakash uh, i'll start with this you know we look at what the schedule has been like and, and your schedule specifically broadcasting some tennis here remotely in the states of the french open how's it been calling these matches in california and what do you think the quality of tennis has been like uh, going forward? Well, I think the biggest thing watching all of these matches is how the players are adjusting with all of the challenges. Uh, athletes in general and tennis players for sure are creatures of habit. So when you go to a certain venue, you know, when you arrive in Dubai in February, you're, you're used to the heat, you're, you're used to the conditions, you're used to staying at a certain hotel, eating at certain restaurants, you're used to that time of year whether you realize it or not your your psyche your subconscious uh, it has been used to it you go you do it every year now you come to paris all of a sudden in the fall you're not only adjusting to completely different weather the clay is playing differently you don't have the same preparation you've just been playing on on a hard course the balls are completely different so for me it's really been seeing who is adjusting well who is keeping positive body language? Uh, what what strategic differences are being implemented? Uh, it's just it, I, coming down to who can adapt, adapt, and adapt and move on. You're dead on there, Prakash. And I think the the easy one to say would be Nadal. He's somebody that is like the most <laughs> the most meticulous about certain things, and he's expressed his his not issues, but just how different it is. How it, it's a different time of year. The court's playing a little different, but it's not just him. There's a lot of players on both sides the men and the women's side that are experiencing the same issues. I've been just fascinated by seeing the lights specifically night tennis. The first couple of nights across the grounds in Paris was wild. The roof on Chatrier especially uh, is a different vibe, but yeah, the weather, especially, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't ready to see a bunch of players, you know, playing in pullovers and having to brace the cold. It's almost like a different sport in some way. Yeah. It's actually one of the things I've been talking about in the commentary, uh, men's and women's side, You've seen a couple of extra layers. You've seen, you know, tights that they're wearing on the bottom and the tops too, trying to keep the arms warm. And listen, everyone hasn't been playing throughout the year. There's been a giant gap, and then all of a sudden you're thrown into Cincinnati and the U.S. Open. All of a sudden there's 10 days and you're playing the French Open. So that's a lot of stress on the body, physically and mentally, and that's exactly where 
injuries happen. So uh, I think the players uh, know that and, and are wary of that, trying to pre- prevent against it. And just a little personal question for you. Did you ever experience, I know you kind of spent most of your time out here uh, in, in, in the nice weather, but did you ever experience having to brave the elements? And were you just somebody that would just go, shirt, uh, T-shirt and shorts no matter what, or would you have to kind of layer up? No, I, I certainly brave the elements on both ends of the spectrum. There are some, I obviously spent a lot of time in India, especially when I was playing Davis Cup for them. And, I mean, I'll tell you, some of the Davis Cup we matches, uh, I'll remember one in particular, um, we were playing against Japan, so they had Nishikori and Soweda. Um, Soweda was top 50 at the time as well. And I remember playing Soweda, and it was 120 degrees. Oh. It, was ju- it was June in Delhi. I mean, people were oh, dying man. from heat-related deaths. And I, I was down two sets to love. Uh, I was down match point at some point, but I came back and won 8-6 in the fifth. And I remember coming off the match, and I actually didn't remember most of the match. Wow. I literally didn't remember wow. it. That's how hot it was. Wow. That is, that's when that muscle memory kicks in. Uh, it, it, exactly. it's, it's definitely fascinating to see a, a different form of tennis. I think as fans, too, we're just used to a lot of the same tour, the same stops. And uh, it is a little nice to see new challenges and new opportunities out there. Uh, Prakash, starting with the French Open, uh, the beginning of this tournament, I should say, it was uh, made known specifically that this was going to be a different type of bubble that is going to be more constrictive. There's issues with the pandemic in Paris that have been escalating in some ways, sadly. Do you think this has had an added effect on the play that we've seen on, on the players, good or bad, maybe having to kind of lock it down even more? Because they've said that they really don't get the freedoms that they had at the U.S. Open, and for obvious reasons, they're kind of confined to the hotels. And there are less options at the hotels, too. Uh, I've heard that the U.S. Open did a bit of a better job as far as providing uh, different op- opportunities for the players to still have a good time, enjoy themselves. Here, it's, uh, it's been a little bit more restrictive, but, you know, it's, it's very tricky. We're not just dealing with sport here. We're dealing yeah. with health issues that affect the globe. So, you know, with each country, it's different. Uh, Paris, there's a threat of another very severe lockdown happening I mean, the talks of this are going on in the middle of a French Open. Would they would they shut something down before the second week? Would they wait till it's over? All of these things surely are going on through players' minds. But I think, just taking a step back here, as athletes, it's all about managing what you can control and not worrying about what you can't control. And on a general basis, you're dealing with you know three or four things or whatever it may be. Now you're dealing with a whole slew of things. But the principle is still the same. When you step out on the court, okay, at the U.S. Open, there were zero fans. At the French, there's 1,000 fans let in a day. Whatever the rules are, whatever the circumstances that you're playing under, it's still you out there on the court. You can control what you, what you can control. And if you've made the decision to play, you just you got to go bring your best. That last point specifically is, uh, is a good one, Prakash, because... Every player had the opportunity not to play. There was obvious reasons. No one was going to lose ranking points. No one was going to get criticized, chastised at all. Everybody that's here, and, and I think we've seen it on the court, you know, they're having to adjust, but they, they are professionals. They came to play. They've bought in. And uh, once you're here, it's time to play. So they signed up for it. They know what they signed up for. They, they're having to battle that as well. But I actually think we've had, we have seen some good tennis because of that. They know, okay, this is a commitment. We, we wouldn't have made it if I wasn't serious. And you know what? Everything is an opportunity. You know, there are no asterisks in this life. I mean, 
Nadal puts up a French Open title here, that that goes on his his resume. Mm-hmm. That that's getting that that's tying Roger. You know, there's no oh, it happened during this circumstance. It happened during that circumstance. Sport is sport, and there's there's challenges going on all the time. This year, of course, has been maybe the most challenging in in our lifetimes. But you know, it, it just it is what it is. And like you said, you have the option. Do you want to play? Do you don't? If you do, you better bring the noise. If not, totally respect it. Stay safe at home. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Prakash Armitrage here on the TC Live podcast. And uh, Prakash, taking a step away from RG for a second to kind of tie it together. I mean, you're seeing that players have had to, you know, be on their own and, and stay in shape and do the best that they can to replicate the match play that they just didn't have this year. You're someone that, you know, really dove into fitness. Your exploits are, are very popular uh, on social media specifically. How important do you think that fitness level is at a tournament like Roland Garros where? You know, you might not have had the clay court. You, you didn't have the clay court buildup for a lot of these players. Some literally just came over from New York City and, and the hard court system. How is it important to have that fitness level, and how can that help as these players, you know, deal with a different beast entirely, clay court tennis in October? Well, I'll just I'll answer that from two different perspectives. One, there's the there's the life macro perspective, which you know, for me, you know, my physical training, it just it, it 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 allows me to sort of get into the right mindset to perform at my best for everything I do, whether it's you know on the acting side or the or the sports broadcasting side or the business side. It just kind of trains your mind to be able to try to do things that your body tells you or someone tells you is impossible. You work past it and you just keep training that habit. You train really good habits in there. So for me, it's sort of you know a mental meditation to continue training all of those habits. I think it's exactly the same for an athlete. The longer you don't do that, I mean, during this pandemic, if you take three months off and you're not used to doing that, it's going to take you a minute Mm -hmm. to be able to get back into those habits. Um, So I think the players who have kept themselves in sharp shape all the way through, let's say, Mitch, you're not even even playing tennis because you want to break for the body. Fantastic. But maybe you're doing something like an active rest where you're, you're still getting physical activity, you're still keeping the body sharp, in, in turn, you're keeping the mind sharp as well. I think those players have benefited from this time. I know some players who just decided to completely shut, shut off, and they haven't really been able to turn on during this time. So on the physical aspect, I think that's showing itself uh, with all of these tournaments now. And specifically to what you said, Man, the physical aspect of playing on clay is is completely different than other surfaces. I remember when I would train for grass, I would, uh, you know, because I serve and volley a lot, I would do a ton of lower body work and more endurance because you're trying to serve and volley and stay low over the course of five sets. On clay, you you really want to work on a lot of strength and flexibility because, I mean, you should see the way these guys, I I just did uh, Sebastian Corda's match, and, and the kid is so strong wide to both sides right. you know as he as he loads it's it's a little bit different than on hardcore similar not like it used to be 15 20 years ago where the surfaces are completely different 
I do think there's a bit more strain, a bit more endurance that you got to work on for the clay. Those are that's all great info, and I, and I appreciate you saying a lot of that because uh, I don't think a lot of people realize the different types of training needed for the different types of surfaces. Uh, I think there's a great uh, there was a great opportunity to take that mental break and to reset, but as this pandemic went on, unfortunately, and the the access to courts and the access to matches didn't happen. You said it perfectly. It's hard to start back up after taking an extended break. And and I just think looking at, you know, your experiences, Prakash, someone that, you know, t- now takes fitness very seriously, but also understands the importance that as a tennis player, it is a different type of training, right? Like when you're training as a tennis player, you can personally speak to this. Your workouts now are, are a little, maybe significantly more dif- different and difficult than they've been in the past, but still you're having to work those different core muscle groups. Could you speak to that a little bit more if you could about, you know, how you're training now versus how you trained as an active tennis player and what, you know, certain exercises are good for you know life as a tennis player? Yeah, 1,000%. I mean, look, the, the thing with when you're training for a sport, everything you do in the gym is geared for a specific purpose. You know, I remember when Agassi played, he, he actually created machines that would, him and Gil Reyes, they created machines which specifically worked the movement you would do on a tennis court. So, for example, um, I, I used to train with uh, the great Ken Matsuda, uh, a trainer out, out of Torrance. He, he, he traveled with Chang and uh, Rosetsky at Courier for a long time. He trained Sharapova. He's, he's just one of the legends of the game. He's, he's really been a mentor to me. He's really like a, like a, another grandfather to me, a really special man, um, he would train me with a lot of bands when I was playing. So he'd have all these different bands and put it around my thigh, work on my first step, work on uh, actually playing while you had some of this resistance on. So you're working that kind of strength. So you become a bit more explosive when you're playing. So it's, it's all very tennis specific. And then, of course, in the off season, if you want to put on a little bit of muscle around the legs or wherever you need it, Sure, you're putting on a little bit of that, but you got to balance that with flexibility because you don't want to get too stiff with too much muscle on. I mean, you look at the best in the world right now, uh, you know, Roger and uh, even a team, and of course, Djokovic, the, the ultimate body on, on the tour. Everyone's very, everyone's very flexible. They're, they're, they're not very muscular. The power comes from the timing of the shot. Even Rafa has really leaned up over yep. the years. So I think that's where the sport lies right now. And, I mean, as far as my gym right now, I, I could never really weight train much when I was playing because, because tennis didn't really call for that. And so I guess it was something I enjoyed because I didn't, I didn't get to do it before. And just the principle of, of weight training I really like because let, let's take this analogy, for example. Let's say you're lifting a 10, 15-pound weight. All you can lift it is nine times. You physically can't lift it anymore. Your body tells you you can't do it anymore. But maybe the second week you try again third week you try again by the fourth week you're lifting it 12 times maybe by the sixth week you're actually lifting it 15 16 you have physically proven to yourself that something that was once impossible is now possible so that those principles are the ones i enjoy training in the gym and i think if you if you keep training it it stays with you and when you stop it leaves you uh matsuda uh, ken matsuda used to tell me if you don't use it you lose it so my whole thing is, you know, you, you just, you stay ready. So you ain't got to get ready, you know? Yeah. You put that equity in, it builds up and you see the, the fruits of your labor for sure. Uh, all right, Prakash, I, I do, I do want to ask you as well, you know, cause you, you've gotten pretty popular on tour traveling the globe and, and, you know, 
looking to interview a lot of these top players and obviously everybody seems to like you. Are they, do you get some players reaching out asking for tips training, you know, what they can do to get stronger and get better? <laughs> well, on camera, Venus, Venus always messes with me. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're really, we're really good friends. She's always asking me for six pack tips and I think she's the one that should be giving out tips because I don't know, especially, you know, at her age, she looks like she looks 15 years younger than she is. She's in exceptional shape. But, uh, but yeah, I'll be getting grief from the players all the time. I think in January, I was doing an interview with Novak. He was, you know, giving me some grief about my gun, my arms. And, you know, they're always, they're always messing around. But uh, I'll tell you, there's some athletes who I'd love to get in the gym with uh, on the men's side and the women's side. There are some uh, real great athletes out there. On the women's side, man, I'd love to get in the gym with Maria Sakari. Ooh, she is yeah. just, I see some, I, I see some of her videos and she is just amazing out there. So fit, takes it seriously. You know, she's got the whole, uh, you know, uh, Greek, Greek goddess thing going on, Greek warrior thing going on. So I love that. And, uh, man, on the men's side, who would I pick? It's a, it's a tough one. I mean, who would I, I mean, the men, they all do like endurance stuff. I don't think anyone's really in there lifting lifting uh lifting some big weights i'd have to think about that the one that came to mind for me on the men's side and and, and by the way sakari that's a great one because her game has actually gotten a lot better as her fitness has gone up but the one that stood out oh, yeah. i actually heard jimmy arias say this was uh sangren i think he's put in a lot of work in the gym and it showed up on the court as well but uh yeah there's there's a ton of uh of fitness level that the fitness level has gone up we've seen the play gone up i was just thinking of i think it was monte carlo uh, the year he won, actually, when you offered Fognini, you know, he, he offered you a jacket but said, you know, you're too big for his. So I think that was the one I was thinking of. Oh, man. I don't think I've done one interview with him where the guy <laughs> can keep it straight for the whole interview. <laughs> I love that guy, man. I miss him. Yeah, yeah, he's one of a kind for sure. Uh, but no, Prakash Armitage, uh, moving back to the French Open here on the on the TC Live podcast, it, we knew this was going to be a little unpredictable. And in talking with some of the analysts leading up to the tournament, we thought that, you know, match play is going to play a huge factor. Also the players that have had the reps on clay and that have stayed, you know, in France and or in Europe, I should say, and gotten the chance to play on clay. Uh, but, you know, when you make that flight across the country and you, and you have to deal with injuries, it's not going to be a great thing. And that leads me to Serena Williams, you know, another one of your friends, Prakash, she just, couldn't quite get her fitness level, get her body right after uh, the injury at the U.S. Open, had to withdraw before her second-round match. Not something any of us wanted to see, but unfortunately I think we all knew this would be a possibility given the condensed schedule and the brutal nature of playing on clay. Yeah, I think it's it's not just local to Serena. I think uh, everyone who's, who's had to deal with this, especially the ones that you mentioned, had to play the U.S. Open and the French it's a big challenge. You know, you don't realize what your body goes through and you're you're used to giving it mini breaks through the year. Let's take out the off season in December. You know, throughout the year, you generally, you know, you start off in Australia, you, you come down and play the couple of hardcore events here in the States, and then you have a little bit of a block, you know, where you can rest, recruit, do a training block, and then get ready for the French. And then maybe you have a mini, mini break after that before you do the grass, then you have one more break again where you can rest the body, train up again. Uh, there's a lot of periodization in, in the lifestyle and training for athletes. Here, it's, it's shock therapy this year. You know, all of a sudden you're boom, boom, boom. And it's different surfaces back to back. And it's uh, for the men, best of five sets. And 
have to do? I mean, look, Serena pulled out of the event leading up to the French, Rome. Maybe she thought that was a long enough break. Obviously, it wasn't. She needed a bit more time to recover. Um, but I think she did the smart thing. Yeah. I mean, look, she's still playing great tennis. I believe she ha- she certainly has more in her, as, as she does as well. So you don't want to, you know, cut off your nose to spite your face. You don't want to just try to win a couple more matches at the detriment of your long-term health. So I, I think she did do the right thing, but uh, it, it, it's not easy to see because you really want, you know, the kind of conditions that allow everyone to be at their best. Yeah, at her age and, and what she's chasing in history, I think she wants to get herself completely right. Uh, unfortunately, the tennis calendar isn't really allowing that to happen, given how condensed it is. The women's side is, uh, as you know, calling these matches at, at the French Open. Uh, it's very unpredictable already. 13 out of 32 seeds left, I think. That's it. We did see Halep uh, today just absolutely run through Andy Samova, giving up just one game. So while there's that unpredictability... I'm getting a sense, and there's still a lot of tennis left, but it's starting to feel like this is Simona Halep's, I don't want to say tournament to lose, but she should be the favorite and somebody that you know, we thought should have a, a couple French Opens by now. This seems to be the best-case chance for her to run through the tournament. I've been very impressed with how she's looked. Well, I think she's managed her schedule properly. You know, She didn't come over to the States. She stayed over in Europe where she was comfortable. You have to realize that Tennis players are people also. And as everyone in the world has been dealing with uh, different emotional issues and personal issues and uh, a lot of anxiety, I know a lot of people that have been dealing with a lot of anxiety and and mental stress issues, you have to manage those. And if avoiding a trip to the States where, you know, the pandemic has been uh, very uncertain, uh, you know, especially over the summer months, uh, if avoiding that kept her in a better mindset and allowed her to prepare well for the French, you know, I think she took all that into consideration. So it, it, it adds to her feeling strong and calm mentally, whereas perhaps maybe a lot of trouble, if you weren't really ready for it, can cause a lot of uncertainty uh, in, in the mental side of things. And we don't know how this is playing out with all the players. Um, you know, we're just, it's all conjecture right now. But, but specific to Simona Halep, I think she did the right thing. She's looking absolutely fantastic. I would uh, certainly look at her as the favorite at this moment. And, uh, you know, it's not like a few years ago where she had that monkey on her back of not having won a slam. You know, now she's won the French Open. She's won Wimbledon. She's sort of embraced the uh, the, the spot in the game where she's at, that that um, that upper, upper, upper echelon. So, yeah, I mean, I think she's definitely the favorite. And, uh, man, she is good on clay. <laughs> Definitely playing more free of winning those couple majors, the French Open and Wimbledon. And uh, her, her lead-up to, to the French Open, staying in Europe, playing on clay has been great. Uh, other upsets, any any other upsets for Kash on the women's side that surprised you with Pliskova, Brady, Azarenka, even Coco Goff losing in the second round? Any other upsets surprise you this early in the tournament? Um, no, you know, all the ones you mentioned, uh, I think there's, there's good reason behind all of them. You know, this was Coco's first French Open. She had a great win in the first round. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's uncertain, you know, playing on this surface, especially at this time, your first time doing it. So not, not terribly surprising. Coco is still sort of settling into, um, you know, the player that she's going to be in, growing with every win and loss. Uh, Azarenka just, I mean, man, she put so many miles on her mind and body and soul in the U.S. I think it was a big ask 
for her to come and do very much here in Europe. And Jennifer Brady, uh, all of a sudden, people are saying, listen, you're a top 10 player. It's very different when no one's talking about you and you have that run. Now you're settling into that state of pressure. And listen, I think she totally belongs there. She's playing like a top 10 player. She's put in the right to be that top 10 player. I know how hard she works, and she certainly deserves it. But again, she's going to have to get used to that role of now people saying, oh, you know what, maybe there is a little bit of a target on her back. And and Pliskova going out, she went out to a French Open champion. You know, Ostapenko still, you know, kind of finding her way back to that form. She, It's almost, you know, when you're so young, you don't quite know what you're doing. You're just hitting every ball as hard as you can. Then you take a few lumps. You get that sophomore slump. You learn to mix in a little bit of grounded control along with that blazing power. And uh, hopefully we're seeing Ostapenko start to find that a little bit. Yeah, Pliskova can actually speak to uh, what Brady's you know going to go through or going through as a top ten player. It's a lot different when you have that target on your back and and players are gearing up to totally. play you. I do want to I do want to mention uh, Coco Golf a little bit more because we're all obviously huge fans of what she does and how how exciting she is for the game. But this is starting to be a serious thing now. She she has some issues to work on with her serve. I mean, that match that she lost. Props to the Italian girl uh, for beating her, but. You know, that was that was on her racket, on her serve, and all those double faults, 19 in total. I think she had double-digit double faults against Kanta before. So something, obviously, she's young that she could correct. But, you know, to make that next step, she's really going to have to, you know, avoid giving away points and double faulting. She is. But, you know, I, I, for me, it's a lot more, and I could be completely wrong. This is, this is just how I feel. It's, it's a lot more about the person. And, you know, if you if you really see a champion in someone, they're going to find a way. They're yeah. going to find a way to improve things. I mean, we've seen so many players who, you know, all of a sudden something that was a weakness, all of a sudden completely yeah. disappears. You know, I would consider Novak Djokovic maybe, maybe arguably the strongest guy mentally we've ever seen on the ATP Tour. You know, the guy is nailed uh, such a fighter he is. And... You know, earlier in his career, people were saying he was soft. You know, he, he would he would retire in certain matches and so forth. And now, all of a sudden, I mean, the guy is just, he, he's as tough as it gets. And he's made it very clear he's going for every record in the book. And I just absolutely admire the heck out of that. So, you know, I think certain things can be vastly improved over, over one's career. I mean, look, Kobe shot those air balls against Utah his, his right. rookie season, and then, you know, look at him. You want the ball in his hand any moment that actually counts for something. So I think a lot of people see that greatness in Coco, and uh, I wouldn't be too worried about this, just uh, needing to go back to the drawing board a little bit and just keep uh, working out the kinks. More on the TC Live podcast with Prakash Armitrage as we move to the men's side and, and the guy you mentioned, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> He's been... On a tear, to say the least. Uh, no uh, official losses, or I say unofficial losses on the court. He, he keeps going after what happened in the U.S. Open. He wins at Rome. He wins the title there. He continues blazing along. Hasn't even come close to losing a set at the French Open. Just lost five games in his last match. And now with 70 wins at RG, ties Roger Federer for second all-time behind, obviously, Nadal. This is a, a very motivated, locked-in Novak Djokovic, but... You know, as you said, somebody that he's a fighter, he's mentally tough, and he's not somebody that's going to let the elements, anything, <laughs> anything get in his way. Like, we can talk about players being creatures of habit and having to adjust the conditions. You know, if 
there's tennis to be played, if there's stakes on the line, he's going to bring his A game regardless of the conditions. Yeah, I, I in between the ears, I think is Novak Djokovic's biggest asset. He's he's so nails up in his head, and I think it's you know he's evolved. You know, he continues to evolve. He's one of those people who is constantly working on himself as an individual. And I think that type of uh, striving for self-awareness constantly, all of that work personally and in life, I think translates tenfold onto the tennis court. And, you know, even when I speak to young players, when I'm asked to go and speak at colleges or wherever, that's always what I preach. Your, your tennis life is so short. Your life as an individual is so long. The faster you can expedite the growth on the life side, man, the success on the tennis side will just will just go through the roof. And I think Novak has been such a beautiful example of that throughout his career. And this is, of course, on top of his great amount of talent and athleticism and work ethic and, and drive and ambition. But right now on clay, I mean, the way both of them are playing, if we can see that showdown, I think it'll be one of the most special things we've seen because they both could not be any hungrier than they are right now. Yeah, you see Nadal starting to, you know, also round into form as well. But uh, to be fair, the reigning U.S. Open champion, Dominic Team might have something to say about that. And he's kind of played spoiler the last couple of years. We've talked about Nadal Djokovic on clay. Uh, team with that win over Casper Ruud this morning in convincing fashion. Ruud's been playing well. So it, it definitely feels like that three-horse race. I, along with you, would love to see Nadal at Djok- and Djokovic for the French Open final. But you know, teams are making those strides, and he feels like he's been the second best player on clay the last couple of years as well. Yeah, absolutely. I personally, at this stage, probably put Novak at a at a slight favorite, and uh, and and Team and Nadal uh, are right behind. Probably, gosh, it's a tough one to pick. You know, two, but maybe Nadal just ahead of Team, but a, a lot more barely than uh, than it used to be with Team uh, winning in New York. Team's fitness level to to get to these guys' level, which we've seen, you have to have a fitness level and a cardio level that's off the charts. Team's one of the few guys, if anybody, who can get there. Uh, the other players, I do want to bring up with you, Prakash, because I think uh, Mitch, oh. Mitch, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I'm go gonna ahead. add one thing to that. Yeah, go ahead. The fitness the fitness level, yes, but I think it's also the mental capacity to take it to your max. True. I think there are a lot of players who train really hard, but they're not getting the benefit of all the training they do because they're not able to push themselves mentally past a certain point on the court in a match. You know, I think there are some players who are willing to push themselves so far beyond the point of what they even think they can go to. Right. And I think that's when that, that superhuman fitness, superhuman uh, level comes out in any athlete. I'm not even just talking about sport. In anything, and I think uh, when we see, you know, our sport at the highest level, that's exactly what we see. And just to kind of go off of that, Prakash, and not to kind of you know dive back into the previous conversation, but you do bring up a good point that it's not all just physicality and, and getting into shape. That mentally, there's another side of training as well. To give team props to have broken through and be the first one of his generation, do you think the mental side might be? you know, that, that last barrier that some of these young guys have to get through, not only having the cardio shape, but to just push through mentally and believe they can beat these elite all-time greats? Oh, 1,000%. That's why they. That's why the breakthrough is so difficult. It's, it's easy for anyone to see something that's physically in their hands, but 
can you can you describe what it feels like and already accept that you have it before you have it that's what we call faith and all the greats they they act on faith and that faith is what allows you to have that breakthrough it's what allows becker to win wimbledon at 17 it's what allows you to finally have that breakthrough and win a grand slam or or beat uh, one of these greats in the finals of a grand slam it doesn't just come you have to you have to believe in it before it's there once you've done it sure it it it's much easier because now you know for a fact that it's there and that you can do it so yeah 1000% the mental aspect is a is a huge deal that first breakthrough when 24 year old i think it was 24 novak djokovic wasn't really the Djokovic that we see now, but he comes back from two sets down against Roger Federer. No one was expecting that except for maybe the guy that pulled it off. So that that's I think that's what we're kind of looking at for some of these guys. Can they break through? And on that same note, wasn't even planning on, on segueing like this, but in terms of mental breakthroughs, the two players that played in that Hamburg final that literally took place the day that the French Open started, Tsitsipas and Rublev, they have to come over to the French Open for cash. They play on, on short notice, lots of travel. They both find themselves two sets to love down, and they both come back. That stood out to me as maybe, just maybe, a mental breakthrough for some young players that, as good as they've been, have had some troubles in the majors. Yeah, I mean, look, Rublev has made the, the quarters of a slam. He's been playing fantastic tennis this year, won multiple titles. And, uh, I mean, look, what can I say about Stefanos? I call him King Arthur. You know, I think... <laughs> He's, he's next in line for the crown. I think he's got really, really special things in front of him. He was brilliant in London last year at the at the ATP finals. But this particular example that you're talking about, I think this is just a, a great example of what matches can do for you. Uh, habits are built in life. And the more you settle into habits, the more you're a little bit in autopilot. Losing becomes a habit. Winning becomes a habit. And, you know, these, these players winning, 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 winning on clay, you know, when you travel and you land up someplace else, you don't have time to think about, oh, the travel and the fact that I'm in a different place, perhaps different conditions. You just go out there and you kind of, you continue doing what you've been doing. And these players have been finding a way to win. And that's what they did. They, they again, found a way to win. Yeah, Sitsipas, who just to come back from that loss to Chorich at the U.S. Open, just a brutal loss, one of the worst ones we've seen, for him to kind of move on and, and, and not only win that first-round match but keep it going, that's been pretty important. I brought up Rublev because he's got he's made that run, but he also hasn't really, I think this was the first year he won a match at Roland Garros, and to see him kind of you know break through a little bit on clay, we'll see where that goes. His Russian counterpart, by the way, Prakash Medvedev, someone that we're all a fan of of what he can do uh, on the court, he, he's still struggling at Roland Garros. I was not exactly shocked that he lost to a good clay court player in Fusevic, but kind of mentally came a little unglued there at the end. He did. We've, we've seen that uh, a little bit from Medvedev. He can be an emotional guy, but I'm, I think it's going to take him a little while to get comfortable at, at Roland Garros. You know, he, he's one of those players who... Uh, he's he's deceptive the way he plays. He's so good on a hard court, and I think one of his great strengths is being able to use the pace of your opponent. And on clay, you you can't really do that. So uh, and, and the movement is a little bit different as well. So I think it's just going to get him a little bit uh, more time to get used to it. But um, but listen, he's 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 one of the top five guys uh, that we're looking at in in the future moving forward in the game. 
Hope to see him continue to develop and uh, get those wins at the French Open. Prakash Armitra, is always a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Before I let you go, what are some other moments uh, that you've kind of enjoyed from this first week of Roland Garros? Some wins, some, some drama. What else stands out to you on this first week of the French Open? Um, just the challenges, I guess. You know, watching it with cold weather, watching it with a lot of rain delays, um, <laughs> You know, seeing, seeing a lot of the frustration from the players, being able to chat with them, seeing how they feel. It's, uh, for me, it, it, it's who's, who, who can be the toughest out there? You know, who can stand in the face of all of this adversity, all of these challenges, and still find a way to be a champion? You know, I mean, look, I've always heard it. Uh, my grandmother used to say it. Anyone can play. Anyone can win when they're playing well, when things are going well. It's when things are going badly, that's what really separates you. So for me, it's an opportunity. You know, to see on the women's side and the men's side, who's going to step up in the midst of all this challenge? Who's going to pack it in and go home? And who's going to who's going to grit it out out there? You know, it's a, I, I think it's an exciting time. It is. I was thinking of that grit. Even you're saying grit and who can find a way to push through that Burton's-Arani match was uh, unlike anything I've seen in a long time. Burton's basically dying out there but finding a way to win. And, you know, we should probably bring up players that we haven't, you know, mentioned that if you're talking about who's tough and who could find a way to win in the face of all these challenges, on the men's side, we didn't talk about uh, a former champ, Stan, Stan Wawrinka, who's looking good and, and finding a way to just round into form on clay. He's somebody that's standing out on the women's side. Halep does look like the favorite, but forgot to mention Garbini Muguruza, who's gotten herself in better shape and training for this as well on the clay and is somebody that's you know, trying to get back to form and, and nearly won the last major, uh, the first major of 2020, rather, in Australia. Yeah, there's still some uh, big floaters in there. There's two interesting names you mentioned. I mean, Garbina is so capable on every surface. You know, she's won Wimbledon. She's she's won the French. And obviously, as you said, you know, nearly, nearly won in Australia as well. And I think she's great for the game. She's got a, you know, really wonderful personality. I think uh, she's loved to watch all over the world so I, I i for the game's sake hope she continues to really play well and uh and stan i mean you know i i know stan he's he's a really sweet guy um you know he's very well liked around the tour but i think he's maybe the most uh untalked about uh, underrated player for how good he is i mean there's so much attention on these top three this guy has played only three Grand Slam finals, and he's taken out uh, the big three in each of those finals. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's insanely astounding, if you, if you think about it. You know, I don't think he gets enough credit for, for how good he truly is. But, uh, but he's a really good guy, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm pulling that uh, he, he's able to put up number four at some point before he retires. Yeah, I think two of them he's taken out two of the three in route to the title. It's just, just insane uh, every time. But he's someone that you always got to be fearful of because when he gets in these best-of-five big matches, it's pretty tough. Well, hey, Prakash, really appreciate you joining us here on the TC Live podcast. Good luck calling the rest of the French Open as well. And I should point out, thank you for taking time on this, your birthday, to join us. So happy birthday, my man. Mitch, my pleasure, my man, my pleasure. Thank you so much, and... Uh... Yeah, enjoy the rest of the French. Uh, you know, uh, everyone send me all your all your comments, everything you think about tennis, fitness, movies, whatever you want on uh, on Instagram. I'm always up for a good chat.
we got a uh, cheat meal today, I think, because you deserve it. You know, it's birthday. Make some uh, time for a little cheat meal. Is that in the plans? Uh, <laughs> you you know me very well, Mitch. Uh, I'm not sure which way to go. The problem is it's either, you know, I got this great omelet and pancakes place, then there's a steak and fries place, and then there's a burger and wings place. So it's usually one of those three options, but hell, it's my birthday. Maybe just, you know, mix and match, you know? <laughs> tomorrow's tomorrow's the time to kind of burn it off, but you've earned it for this birthday for sure. Uh, Prakash, thanks again for joining <laughs> us on the TC Live podcast. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Appreciate you, man. Talk to you soon. That's Prakash Armitraj on the TC Live podcast. A reminder, you can catch every episode on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast, and where all your podcast platforms are, we are there. We'll see you next week on the TC Live podcast as we get ready for the French Open final. Should be exciting. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. See you next week.